book of Psalms, um, and this is where my professor part of me comes out uh, often from time to time. Um, um, I would want to say that the book of Psalms is divided into five sections. And each time there are Psalms that stitch the Psalms together into those five sections. Like Psalm one through 41 is one section. Psalm one and two are the introduction to the book of Psalms. And then it goes all the way to Psalms 41. Then uh, uh, the next book of Psalms begins at Psalm 42. It goes all the way to Psalm 72. Psalm 72 and Psalm 73 are the two, what I call seam Psalms, very similar to the seams of my shirt here. That is where the essential message of the whole book of Psalms lies. And if you notice very carefully, those Psalms are called Psalms of Lament. It's Psalms that go deep down into the inner being of your whole, uh, your whole being, which generally is called the kidneys or the womb of a person. Uh, that's where emotions rise out of. And these are called Psalms of Lament, Psalms of Lament. So I want to, I picked up as I was listening to uh, David Kim lead us in that amazing song. Uh, I picked up this new translation, which I just got, and it's called Africa Study Bible, Africa Study Bible, because I want to learn from our African sisters and brothers. And, and what they teach us is how to lament to be close to God. And, and this is in a translation, which is called a New Living Translation. So I know that uh, we have been reading the New International Version. I just thought it's probably a good idea for me to read to you from the New Living Translation of the Book of Psalms in Psalm 42. Here's what it says. As the deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O oh God. I thirst for God, the living God, when I go and stand before him. And then it goes on to say, day and night, I have only tears for food. Do you see this? This is deep mourning, right in the midst of all this pandemic that we are encountering here. The rest of the psalm is a psalm that talks about lament. And it's okay to lament. Because when you lament, you go deep down and you find freedom because God takes you out of that. And, and so let me go on to read here. Day and night, I have only tears for food while my enemies continually taunt me saying, where is this God of yours? So there is this lament that we encounter. I would encourage you boys and girls when you um, sit down with your parents Go through this whole psalm. It's a very, very powerful psalm. This is a psalm that I think the early followers of Jesus sang quite often. Jesus, the very last thing he did when he was hanging on the cross was to sing a song of lament. It's a psalm called Psalm 22. And so why is it that people of God would sing these psalms? It seems so, um, uh, it, it seems like, you know, you, you, you're kind of mourning and you're upset all the time. What's going on? 
because the people of God were lamenting for the people around them who were suffering. And that's what we are called upon to do as the church. In this series that I'm going through, I'm going through the, the, the various uh, expressions of history that the early church, the followers of Jesus went through. We're going through the book of Acts. Acts chapter one, uh, it talks about the acts of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter one, Jesus comes to his disciples before he is, uh, he ascends into heaven. And he says to his disciples, you will be my witnesses when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so the whole idea of the book of Acts is the early church, right in the midst of a lot of pandemics, there was racial pandemics, there were spiritual pandemics, there were pandemics that brought in a lot of bad things upon the people. Right in the midst of that, the Spirit of God descended upon the people, and the early church exhibited what I call a pandemic of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we should be like. So in Acts chapter 1, Jesus says to his disciples, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and you will bring a pandemic of the Holy Spirit, which will bring about healing. Pandemic is a good word. We've talked about that before. The word pandemic means it's upon all the people. Yes, the coronavirus pandemic can come. The racial pandemic can come. What is the answer to that? The answer to that is a pandemic of the Holy Spirit. And that's what you find in Acts chapter one. So, so if you would sit down with your parents, open up your Bibles. If you have the New Living Translation, this is a good translation. If you have the New International Reader's Version, open up to that. If you have the New International Version, open up to that. English Standard Version, whatever you have, open up to Acts chapter one and come through me. As I go through these chapters, Acts chapter 1, Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit depends upon, descends upon the people. There's fire, there's lightning, and all these people start speaking in all kinds of languages. Wouldn't you like to do that? To speak in different languages. That is so powerful, isn't it? And we have people in our church who speak in different languages. Well, that's what they do. And everyone says, wow, they didn't go to any schools. How can they speak in all these languages? But they talked about the great works of God. The pandemic of the Holy Spirit had started. And so you go to Acts chapter 3 and we reflect on Acts chapter 3, where there is these disciples like Peter and John. And, and Peter, of course, was a big burly guy. He said, Lord, I'm not going to let anyone touch you. But then when they actually captured Jesus, um, he, he said, I don't know him. Who, who is this? I don't know him. I, I speak with a different accent. And, you know, he, he comes from a different region of the world. I don't even care about him. But that same Peter who denied Jesus three times when Jesus was about to be crucified stands up and preaches because the Holy Spirit descended on him. And then he goes into the temple area and he heals. A, a, a person who's crippled, a person who is handicapped, a person whom no one wants to go near. He heals him. And you think everyone will say, wow, this is amazing. You heal this person, but that's not what happens. What happens is these people want to 
get rid of Peter and John. There is political authorities, there's religious authorities who oppress, oppress Peter and John. And then uh, they, they do that in Acts chapter four and five and all kinds of people become followers of Jesus. But then there's issues that arise. There's another kind of pandemic that arises and that's called a racial pandemic. There were people who were Jewish followers of Jesus. There were others who were African followers of Jesus. There were others who were Arabian followers of Jesus. And they were at loggerheads with each other. They say, oh, you don't take care of our widows. You don't take care of our widows. So the disciples said, let us find people. People who are full of the Holy Spirit. And they found seven people, seven men. They were all from Africa. They were all from Alexandria. They were not Jewish people. That is one of the things we need to be mindful of whenever bad things happen, whenever there's a pandemic that's a racial pandemic, it's very important to find people who come from the group of people who have been oppressed. And so they find Stephen. What does he do? He starts preaching the gospel. It says here in Acts chapter six, and we reflected on that last Sunday, Stephen, a man full of God's grace and power. He was full of the Holy Spirit. He performed amazing miracles and signs among the people. And you think the people will be happy with that? Look, these amazing things they're doing, but, but that's not what they did. They wanted to jail him. So they brought him before the high priest and Stephen, this man of God who's been chosen to take care of the widows and to take care of the poor people, he starts preaching the gospel. And he tells them a whole sermon, a whole story from the Old Testament. That's found in Acts chapter 7. It's a powerful story. You know, that's the way in which people in Africa still preach. They preach in the form of stories. They tell a whole story and everyone will be listening to the story and they'll be so taken up with the story because the story has got amazing points in it. In Western culture, we are not in the habit of telling stories. We're in the habit of, you know, people go to these places called seminaries and that they'll teach you. You're gonna preach a three point sermon, point one, point two, point three, and you're done, go away. It is logical. But that's not the way in which people did stuff during the time of the Bible. They told a story and he told a story of how Abraham was oppressed. And then Mo, the people of God were oppressed in Egypt and Moses was oppressed. And then, of course, there were the prophets and they were oppressed. This word is used over and over again in, in Acts chapter 7 oppressed and they oppressed the prophets and the prophets talked about Jesus that Jesus will come Jesus is the son of God he's God himself he will come and then Stephen says Jesus came and you oppressed Jesus as well you put him to death but God raised him up on the third day and they started becoming so angry because of this story they said, we're going to kill you. We're going to kill you. And they did kill Stephen, the first martyr. 
at the end of that, we see that as they stoned him, this was a horrible way of dying. They stoned him to death. Stephen prayed. You know what did he pray? He said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then it says in verse 60 of chapter 7, he fell to his knees and shouted, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. Just like Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. That's the kind of person Stephen was. And that's how we ended last Sunday. I want to continue with this story. There was a person there who was the head honcho of this oppression. And his name was Shaul or Saul. Other people call him Paul. What is the response to healing? What is the response to the telling of God's story? The human response is oppression and it takes on different forms of oppression. There is Saul who's the head honcho. It says he, had, he approved, he actually authorized the killing of, of, um, of Stephen. And on that day, there was this huge oppression which broke out against the church, says uh, Acts, chapter, Acts chapter 8. And people were scattered all over. They were scattered into different parts of the world because they were being oppressed. Godly men buried Stephen and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, it says in Acts chapter 8 and verse 3, he dragged off both women and men and put them in prison. So oppression is the first stage of a church that is beginning the process of the pandemic of the Holy Spirit. It's okay when you're oppressed. It's okay because out of oppression, God brings something that we don't know about, probably something beautiful. And so they were scattered. Is scattering a good thing? You know, we have people that come and live among us. They come and live among us from different parts of the world. Today, we had an amazing time of prayer this morning with, uh, with our missionaries, with covenant missionaries who are serving God in, um, in Asia and in Korea. They talked about 4.6 billion people, 60% of the world's population in that continent called Asia, where a lot of our parents, your grandparents and, and your parents perhaps, came from that part of the world. Um, and and it goes on to say that God is doing amazing things in this part of the world. So two people shared with us, one from Thailand, um, uh, Grace um, Shim and her husband, Bob Shim, are from Vernon Hills. They, they went over to, to Kyrgyzstan and to other parts of Asia and now presently are in Thailand. They're talking about the amazing things that God is doing right in the midst of oppression. And then of course, there was another missionary of ours who is in, in Seoul, Korea. He's talking about the North Korean 
refugees who are scattered because of awful things that they are facing and they're living in different parts of South Korea. There's 30,000 refugees who are living there, who are calling out for help, who are looking for Jesus and there's a need for people to go there and serve them. So would you be ready to go there and serve them? My hope is that Redeemer Life in the next 10 years or 10, 15 years is able to send 15 missionaries to go and work with Jamie Kim in Korea because there's scattered people there who are looking for help, who are looking for hope. And when you have Jesus and you keep Jesus in your pocket, we're doing the wrong thing. So these people were scattered. What did they do when they were scattered? They didn't keep things to themselves. They started preaching the gospel in Damascus and in Alexandria, wherever they went. They talked about Jesus, that Jesus was healing you. Let the Holy Spirit come and descend upon you. You will do amazing things. They didn't keep quiet. So Saul looked at them. And we are fast forwarding now to Acts chapter 9. And he said, what? You're doing the same thing there? I thought you'll keep shut. You're going and preaching the gospel? So it goes on to say in Acts chapter 9 verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was uttering threats with every breath and was eager to kill the Lord's followers, the Lord's disciples. That's what happens when people get oppressed. It is violence and it's almost irrational violence. It's horrible violence. They don't want to think. And that's what Saul was doing. He wasn't happy with just going and doing horrible things to St uh, Stephen and getting him killed. He wanted a whole lot of people killed. So he goes to the high priest and he says to the high priest, Give me letters because I want to put these people in jail. If they don't keep quiet, I'm going to kill them. It leads to political oppression and rhetoric. And when people are in power, they think they can use all the power they can get to do horrible things to those people who want to bring about the gospel and healing in the name of Jesus and want to spread a pandemic of the Holy Spirit. They use all kinds of clout. So he goes and he finds letters and he wants to go there. And then, and then he also uh, threatens them with systemic oppression. But look at what it says. They wanted, he wanted to go and capture those people who were the followers of the way because it didn't like their way. These people are too clean. These people are too truthful. We don't want these kinds of people because we like the other kind of system, he says. And so there is systemic oppression against those people who want to follow the way of the Lord because they said that Jesus is the way. Jesus is the truth. Jesus is the life. And so Saul wanted to destroy them. But look at what happens. That is the first stage, the stage of oppression. The stage of oppression is followed by a beautiful thing that happens. It says in verse 3, as he was approaching Damascus, I'm in Acts chapter 9 and verse 3, 
as he was approaching Damascus on his mission, a light from heaven suddenly shone down around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? You see, that's what happens when a pandemic of the Holy Spirit takes place. Jesus himself breaks through. And he sees a vision of the transformational light, very similar to the light that broke through in Genesis chapter 1, where God said, let there be light. This is I am the light who breaks through. That's the first thing that happens in this transformational vision. The light breaks through. Not only does the light break through, but also the voice breaks through. This is a transformational voice as the pandemic of the Holy Spirit comes upon the earth. It says to him, Saul, Saul, notice this. Why are you persecuting me? When people persecute God's people, they persecute God. When you mess with the people of Jesus, you mess with Jesus. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me, says Jesus. Another part of the Bible in the book of Acts when Saul is talking about this experience, he says to another king whose name is Agrippa, he says to him, he heard the voice of Jesus saying, it is hard for you to kick against the goads. Two things I want to underline here. The word that is translated as persecuting also means to pursue. When people persecute the church because the church wants to bring about a pandemic of the Holy Spirit, then they are persecuting the church because there is something deep down within them for one that is bothering them. There is an inner conscience voice that is speaking to them. And so they want to pursue. They want to pursue the truth. So persecution is a good thing. I would much rather that people persecute the church than they sit at the side and not be bothered by the truth that the pandemic of the Holy Spirit can bring upon them. People persecute because they want to pursue, because there is something deep within them that says, Listen to that voice. Listen to these followers of Jesus. They'll bring about a transformation. And yes, they don't want that because they like their own way. But you know, persecuting is a good sign. Persecution is a good sign. It's a sign of pursuing. And a lot of times I have parents who will tell me that I don't know what happened to, to my child. I sent my child to the University of Illinois. I sent my child to one of the other universities, University of Chicago, and, and that person is not following the Lord. And that person is persecuting the church. And I would often say, that's okay. It's a good thing because 
Persecuting is a sign that the person is actually pursuing. There's a deep inner conscience that's bothering this person. That's what Jesus says to Saul. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against your inner conscience. I know you're persecuting because you're really pursuing. And then he says this question, which is very important. Who are you, Lord? Who are you? When a person is persecuting, when a person is pursuing, when a person is fighting against himself or herself, the next part, the next uh, step in his path to conversion is the question, who are you? And then he uses the word Lord, which is the Old Testament name for God. He recognizes that the Jesus is no ordinary person. He is God himself. And Jesus says to him, I am. I am the God who revealed himself to Moses. I am the God who said to Moses, I have seen the suffering of my people. I've heard their cry. And I've come down. Yes, I've literally come down to save them from their oppressors. To save them from their sins. From systemic sins, whether it be the pandemic of the coronavirus crisis, or it be the pandemic of racial crises, whatever pandemic it is, I am Jesus. I am salvation. I am the salvation of God. And I have come down. And so he sees the face of Jesus. And this is what results in him, his eyes being opened. It's so powerful. As we go on further, the process of conversion is the next step. The first step is oppression. That's God. Vision. And then it comes to conversion, where Jesus says to him, the voice replied, I am Jesus, the one you are persecuting, the one you are pursuing. Now get up and go, go to the city and you will be told what you must do. Now, maybe some of you are at that stage where you are persecuting, you're fighting against yourself, and you know that this truth lies in Jesus, but you don't want to go there because you don't want to be like those Christians. You want to hold on to yourself. Well, Jesus says to him, there are three things you must do, Paul. There are three things you must do, Saul. And the first thing is to arise. Arise, get up, experience resurrection. And then secondly, go. Arise, go. And the third thing that you must do is to let go. Arise, go, and let go of yourself because you will be told what you ought to do. That is something that you and I never want to do, right? Because we've been told that in modernity, we never let go of ourselves. We have a mind. We make decisions according to what our mind says. We have been told what to do by society. We want to stick with that. but We never want to let go. Let go of yourself. 
And so he goes. But there's two other things that, that must happen in the process of conversion. As he goes there, it seems to be that it's a double conversion. The same Jesus appears to another person whose name is Ananias. And it says that Jesus appears to Ananias, verse 10. And he says, yes, Lord. And in verse 11, the Lord says to him, go over to the straight street, to the house of Judas. When you get there, ask for a man from Tarsus. His name is Saul. And all this time, Ananias is listening, listening to Jesus. Say, whoa, 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 whoa. Wait a minute. Wait a minute, Lord. You don't know what you're talking about. And then he goes on to say, he is praying to me right now. I've shown him a vision of a man named Ananias coming and laying hands on him so that he can see again. And then Ananias says, but Lord, but Lord, but Lord, listen, listen to me, listen to me. I'm, I'm scared. I'm so scared because I've heard many people talk about the terrible things this man has done to the believers in Jerusalem. And he's authorized by the leading priest to arrest everyone who calls upon your name. But the Lord said to him, go for Saul is my chosen instrument to take my word, to take my gospel, to take my message to the Gentiles and to kings, as well as to the whole people of Israel. He is my instrument. Let go of your fear. Let go of your fear, Ananias. So God changes the fear of Ananias. That's one of the things that happens to so many Christians. Christians are so fearful, so worried to go to people like Saul's. But it's people like Saul who are ready for the gospel. And you and I are either like Ananias or we are like Peter. But God says to us, don't believe, don't trust in your own ability. Don't be so fearful that you're depressed. Let go of that. I will use you to reach out to people like Saul. Are you ready for that? But maybe you're not like Ananias. Maybe you're like Barnabas. And we encounter Barnabas toward the end of this chapter where everyone is scared of Saul. And here comes Barnabas. The word Barnabas, you remember, we talked about his name, which literally means the parakletos. He's a person who's like the paraclete. He's a person who's like the Holy Spirit. He goes and he comforts and he comes alongside you. And some people do need to be like Barnabas in the church. Some people need to be like Paul later on. Paul himself says to Barnabas, what is this encouragement thing? You got to be a fury, prophetic person. Don't be like an encourager. And God has to say to Paul, no, I need encouragers. No, I need people like Ananias. No, I need people like Peter. And yes, I need people like you, Paul, as well. There's different kinds of Christians. In the process of conversion, 
God uses people like Peter, God uses people like Ananias, God uses people like Barnabas. You and I need to find our place in this pandemic of the Holy Spirit that we need to bring into Vernon Hills and into Libertyville. And when does it happen? This is so powerful. This is so powerful. It goes on to say that instantly something like scales fell from his eyes. And then it says that Saul stayed with the believers in Damascus for a few days and immediately he began preaching about Jesus in the synagogues. In the modern church, we hold people back. We say, no, you haven't been to North Park. No, you haven't been to Trinity. You haven't had three years or four years of theological education. You cannot go and preach the gospel. Look at what they have, what happens to Saul immediately, immediately, immediately they go and start preaching the gospel. That is what we need when we want to spread the pandemic of the Holy Spirit. That is what happens to the woman of Samaria, Jesus heals her. She comes to Jesus and she says, I want the water of life. Would you give me the water of life? And Jesus gives her the water of life. And then she goes immediately and she preaches and the whole village becomes a follower of Jesus, the Messiah, the whole village. You find this throughout the gospel. So what are the four steps? Oppression? Yes, oppression will happen, but then Jesus will break through and maybe you, you are being oppressed. Maybe you are an oppressor. If so, would you pray, Jesus, I want to meet you today on this, my Damascus road. I want to meet you today. Would you pray to him and say, I want to hear your voice. Oh, Jesus, I have been oppressing my wife or my husband or my kids or my parents. I don't know who you're oppressing. But would you pray? Jesus, I want to see you today. Jesus, open my eyes. I want to hear your voice today. Open my ears. And would you hear Jesus saying, my child, my child, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. It's hard for you to kick against your own inner conscience. You are persecuting the people of God because you are wanting to pursue me. Would you turn to him and say, Jesus, you're my Lord. You have broken through into history. And then maybe you are like the early church who is persecuted. I want you to pray.
pray for those who are persecuting you. That they would now see a vision of this Jesus on their Damascus road and turn to him. Would you believe that? Would you take a moment to pray for that person and say, Lord, that person at my work, or that person in my home, or that person in my family, or that person in my friend's network is persecuting me. Would you pray that they would find Jesus today? as they go on the Damascus road. May they hear the voice of Jesus. May they hear, may they see the light of Jesus, the one who died on the cross and said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It's so fascinating. At the end of it, it goes on to say, that this oppressor will become the oppressed. Paul will suffer many things for me, says Jesus. The oppressor becomes the oppressed. And that is the Jesus way. And that's what we recognize as we turn to God in the Holy Communion. So would you... Would you bring before you the elements of the Lord's Supper? Here I have an unleavened bread before me. And I have the cup. If you do not have uh, these before you and families, I'm going to encourage you to gather these together. Just some grape juice or some other juice that you have uh, will do. Um, and it's okay if you don't have juice, if you have something else. Um, please do bring that before you and the family. And I want someone in the family to, to pray along with me and then um, an unleavened bread, an unleavened bread or any bread that you have. I have uh, a wheat tortilla here with me. Wheat tortilla will be God or any other um, bread that you have. If you, would, um, uh, if you would bring that before you. For it says, as Jesus revealed himself to his disciples in the last supper that he had, Jesus came to them. The first thing that he did was he took um, a, a bucket in which only the, the slave boys would go and touch that bucket. And he took some water in that bucket and he began washing the feet of his disciples. And he said, this is how you should be because I am the suffering servant. I am the suffering servant. And you have to be suffering servants as well. Of course, Peter was upset. Others were upset. And Jesus said, no, this is to be your life. Just like it became Paul's life, Saul's life as well. 
And then he took the bread, which signified the lamb, the body of the lamb that was that was slaughtered, that was sacrificed as the Passover sacrifice called Pesach. And then as he broke it, he said, Baruch Ata Adonai, Eloheinu Melech Alam, Hamotzi Lechem, Hamotzi Lechem, Min Hashamayim. He said, this is my body. This bread is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. For as often as you do this, you proclaim, you proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. As often as you do this, you proclaim the death of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross who suffered for our sins. So let's pray. Our Lord, our God, we thank you for your body. We thank you, O oh Lord, for becoming flesh, for becoming human, and for suffering for our sins on the cross. We want to thank you, O oh Lord, for all that you endured. The the soldiers spitting on your face, people mocking you, people hitting you, and eventually you died on the cross for our sins. We thank you for your broken body. And so, Lord, as we partake of this, your broken body, we pray that you would enable us to be full of you, to know that when people persecute us, they're persecuting you. To know that when we are suffering, we are suffering because you're the suffering Messiah. So we partake of this broken bread. Oh Lord, fill us with your blood. So would you take a piece of the body of Christ? And say to each other as you passing as you pass it on, this is the body of Christ, which is broken for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Would you say that as you pass it on to each other in your family? This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. This is the body of Christ broken for you. And then let's participate in it together. And then after the breaking of the bread, Jesus took the third cup 
In the Passover um, meal, there are four cups. The first cup is the cup of holiness in which they would come before God and say, Lord, sanctify me because I'm about to partake, participate in this very, very holy experience with you. The second cup is called the cup of suffering. And so Jesus would have partook, partaken of two cups already with his disciples, the cup of holiness, a cup of sanctification, and then the cup of suffering, which Jesus drank, just like he tells Paul that you will suffer for me. The third cup is called the cup of salvation. So that's what Jesus poured. This is the cup that reminded them of the blood of the lamb that was sacrificed, whose blood was then put on the doorposts. And Jesus said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. So would you pick up this third cup, the cup of salvation, and hold it up, someone in the family, as I pray. Oh Lord, oh Lord, our God, we thank you for that spotless Lamb of God, whose blood was shed for our sins that we may know salvation. And so Lord, as we partake of this, your cup of the new covenant, we pray that we would be ready to in like manner serve you and suffer for you. And if the need arises, we give our lives as a sacrifice as we follow you, O oh Lord, we partake of this, the new covenant in your blood. Amen. Would you partake of this together with me? This is a powerful experience, isn't it? It's a powerful experience. It has always been a powerful experience. It was a powerful experience for that same Paul who was radically converted. And I hope there are some of you who have experienced Jesus on the Damascus Road. I hope there's some of you who have seen your pursuers, your persecutors come to know Jesus today. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? And my prayer is that you and I would be ready, indeed ready to suffer for Jesus. Today there was a fascinating story that was told by Grace Shem was sharing about the churches in Asia. And she said, 
they are asked four questions when they are being baptized. The first question has to be a question that you and I are always asked when we are baptized. And hopefully we will have a baptism ceremony soon. And that question is, do you believe that Jesus is your only Lord and Savior? If so, say, I do. And then there's three other questions that they're asked, and each of those has to do with suffering. Will you ever deny the name of Jesus? Will you be willing to suffer emotionally, socially? And then fourthly, will you be willing to suffer physically? And each time they would say, yes. And then the person would say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those are questions that we don't ask ourselves in Western society, isn't it? But you need to go to Pakistan, to India, to Nepal, to Burma, to North Korea. Those are our amazing sisters and brothers who pray this prayer when they are baptized. Amazing, isn't it? Let's pray. Our Lord, as we go out into the world, you've been so gracious to speak to us through the life of Saul, through the life of Paul. You've been so gracious to enable us to feed on your body and your blood. And now, Lord, as we go into the world, during this shutdown, during this coronavirus crisis, enable us to be Jesus to the world around us. Thank you for answering our prayers as we came to you today, pleading for our persecutors, that they may know you. Thank you for those that have received you today as their Lord and their Savior. So bless us with your presence. So beloved, may the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he make his face shine upon you that they may see Jesus when they see you. And may you know his peace that transcends all understanding, that baffles everyone around you. Amen and amen.